Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 74. This cast is always is sponsored by Gathering Magic and Cool Stuff Inc., the number one place to buy all of your Magic the Gathering cards and accessories. With free shipping on $100 or more and a sweet 25% BIOS bonus, CoolStuffInc.com is a store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined this week, of course, with noted MTG finance expert Travis Allen, bearded behemoth Jim Casali of quiet speculation and it wouldn't be a cast without homeless looking ed when he is uh finally back on the cast after we lost him for a week we dragged him out of the swamps down in florida and it's nice to have the gang all back together there's a couple things that uh we should talk about this week we did get a large amount of viewer questions this week we will be trying to answer as many of those as possible uh, not all of them are eligible for the 25 dollar gift card but there were some good ones that I thought we should address. I just uh, want to interrupt you yeah. there for a second. Go ahead. I'm, I am very disappointed in all of our listeners because multiple people have won multiple times in a row now, and there are only three questions on gatheringmagic.com. There's only three people that can win. Want to know what the that best is part is? There's tons of messages that people tweeted us and Facebook messaged us, but either they don't listen to the cast or they like us enough to not try and win it that they left it in other social media forms for this week. So it is, uh, it is very interesting. So disappointing. It's like the freest of money that you could possibly get. So if, uh, if you want to make Jim's life a little harder, feel free to leave a question so that his engagement with our listeners looks good, I guess. And speaking of, uh, engagements I, it's about time that we fulfill our side of the contract and hope you guys make some money in magic uh so let's get into it first off we have a question on twitter this is primarily directed at ed it'll sort of set the mood he wants to know what the best vendors we've heard of that are in europe he currently lives in the netherlands but he's open to uh, european vendors across the board ed are there any that you would recommend um so my experience is almost exclusively exclusively to the British vendors. Um, the nature of Brexit and the the currency exchange between the pound to the U.S. dollar has made uh, it particularly appealing for me to deal with the British guys, uh, mainly Troll Trader and Magic Madhouse. Uh, I'm pretty good friends with uh, with a lot of them. Um, in terms of actual mainland EU vendors, um, I have not had the best experience with a lot of them. Um, Galactus, uh, they're a, uh, vendor from Italy, uh, I believe Rome. They actually come out to a fair amount of U.S. Grand Prix. They've been to a lot of the European ones. Uh, they're pretty cool guys. I've definitely, like, their buy numbers, the good, their good buy numbers are, are actually very, very high. Um, and they've definitely, I've definitely had times when they come over and just bought, like, all of a certain, um, uh, card before. Um from us mainly because the, again the cards that they target like they tend to be very they tend to do very well for them but for the most part a lot of vendors are a little hard to deal with in europe um i've tried to work out deals i've tried to like find some sort of like arbitrage opportunity that works well for both parties haven't really gone through to many people in the netherlands uh outposts is a store in belgium uh i've been good with one of their guys they've they seem decent they seem a little small side they aren't really traveling to grand prix though 
beyond that, there aren't really too many vendors I care for. A lot of them are kind of just individuals that <clears throat> that you see hang out at, at Grand Prix a lot. But uh, the British guys, again, they they're I've I've been pretty good with them mainly because of how weak the British pound is, and I think it's more of that opportunity than uh, than anything. But other than that, Galactus is kind of like my other go-to European vendor. Jim and Travis, have you guys had any experiences with European vendors? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, I would say not too much directly. I've heard of Outpost Belgium, and I bought several cards from them, and I haven't had any problems. Beyond that, European, not really. Um I can say I've worked with Outpost Belgium and had no problems with them. I don't typically buy cards from outside the United States. Um, pretty much my international like vendor experience is like the couple of Canadian ones like Wizard Tower that come to Grand Prix in uh, North America or in United States specifically, I guess. I've dealt with uh, with Galactus. They were okay. I think they were at Vegas, I want to say, and one other GP this year, either Indy or Minneapolis. Um, I can't remember which. Uh, I deal with a lot of Russian vendors. Um, Ivan's pretty good. Yes, it's literally the most stereotypical name, like besides maybe Vlad, but uh, he's a pretty good vendor. There's a there's a third party in the Netherlands. Uh, his Twitter account is at uh, Pi. I want to say it's like Sir at C E R T I A K E, and his like handles Pi. Uh, he does a lot of arbitrage for people through MKM for like a very small fee if you're looking for that. But if you're also just looking to sell cards because he has so many contacts and uh, all over the world, I would just hit him up and see if he can do better than the other places around. I, unlike Ed, I have not dealt at all with UK vendors. Uh, their currency has been getting pounded, some would say. So that would be the only advice I'd have on that subject. And of course, moving on, we've seen a couple... Uh, we've seen a couple cards start spiking. Vraska's Contempt has gone up in an instant. This card's being very uh, useful against Hazaret and Ramming Up Red decks. The three-drop uh, Dinosaur scales very well now with what we saw from the Magic World Championship, and that's at $5 now. And the Scarab God continues to go up and become $40 retail, which is devastating people's wallets independent of your puns these are the worst sentences people have uttered just thank you <laughs> so we had these three card spike from standard search from Azkanta also went up quite a bit you probably got some healthy returns on that if you got an early already um are there any standard cards that you guys are looking now towards that we've seen the standard metagame shift a bit whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, it's not think of the week section yet here buddy yeah, no, but are there any cards that you guys are keeping an eye out on? Carnage Tyrant hasn't really dropped that much. Uh, Jace is starting to drop because no one's found a home for him yet, though some people say it's a powerful card. You know, there's just a bunch of cards out there that don't have a home. Is there anything you guys like? Not even pick of the week related, just like deck related, because we have uh, Mono Red and Midrange as so much, well, Mono Red in control right now as so much of the field. Is there room for like a Midrange deck? I don't know, man. It's hard to beat the Scarab God uh, with the current set of cards that we have. 
Like, there are some good white cards that are answers to it, but the rest of the white cards are just kind of miserable. So the the echo that I've seen on Twitter is that white cards are good against Scarab God, but all the other cards are just bad, so people just don't really have any options on what to play. I'm not expecting a significant amount of change between now and the Pro Tour, which is a little weird because we the premier standard event, or the premier event for the Pro Tour is usually, you know, the first time we see, like, high-level drafting and the first time we see... Um, the new standard environment with the professionals playing, but since we got the World Magic Cup last weekend and we got to see all that stuff already, I'm not really sure that there's going to be that much change or that much improvement over the next, what is it, two or three weeks before the Pro Tour? I think kind of addressing like the issue of standard is like kind of the the pillars of the format, as it were. You have like the very, very, very aggressive like red deck. Right, like the deck lost nothing; it just gained lightning strike as a side grade to incendiary flow. It's hard to say, like definitively, if it's better or worse. But, um, but you you have that, like that's your like classic aggressive deck. Uh, your mid range deck is Teamer Energy. That at one world, like obviously, like we knew it was a very powerful deck. Energy is a very like we've talked about, like it's a very parasitic mechanic. If energy is as good as it has been, right? We've seen like how oppressive Aetherworks Marvel was at one point. You've seen how good, like, just the the energy theme is now. Um, it kind of seems like it's gonna be the just your very just run of the mill classic mid range deck that's kind of dominated like just standard in the past years. And then we have like the blue black like control deck that seems to do well. So it seems hard to kind of like crack those because they're basically at the top of their class. You have a like aggressive deck, a mid range deck, and a control deck, and it's like no matter where you go in between you're either losing to something that's slightly more powerful than you that's already established. You can't really go slightly bigger than a team energy deck because you'll probably just lose to Scarab God. And you can't go slightly slower than the red deck because team energy is just, it could just go way over the top of you because they have just so many good mid-range cards with like Bristling Hydra, like uh, Rogue Refiner, Glorybringer, like all those mid-range cards are just so good against like kind of the slightly smaller things. So it's kind of... It what? is so odd to hear Bristling Hydra described as a powerful mid-range card. But but in the deck, it just it, it it just works so well. It just kind of and that's just again that's more I think more of how powerful energy is rather than objectively Bristling Hydra be a powerful card. Yeah, Hydra's um, definitely yeah. heading in the right direction, but it it slots in so out of that deck, you know. Um. But anyways, like back to my point, like you have kind of these three established decks already it's it just really seems hard to like crack like like how are you really going to find like where are you trying to go like you have the best mid-range deck the best control deck and the best aggressive deck anything it just seems like it's gonna be slightly like just slightly worse than what you already have established so and at the same at the same time we're seeing some insane price spikes fetid pools is a ten dollar card now Something that I would not have expected is the Bodylands actually went up a ton. I thought there was enough demand. I think Jim called this. Yeah, Jim, you want to talk about that? Yeah, man. I mean, lands are very important. Um, I kind of like looking at where the more popular um, cycling lands were going, Fetid Pools and Shelter Thicket especially were on my radar as being probably a little bit more expensive than they should be if they were going to be like bulk lands. So just the seeing how much play just blue-black in general and red-green in general is seeing, it really doesn't surprise me that these are the two lands that are going up. Um, Shelter Thicket's not nearly as expensive, 
as fetid pools. Ten dollars for a land seems a little, a little excessive, but I guess you could just play more copies of those in those decks. But I, I was kind of expecting the same thing to happen with the buddy lands. Like I'm sure that the like M whatever ones are not actually going up, but the uh, but the new art on the new buddy lands is pretty sweet. Like I really enjoy the Dragon Skull Summit and the Boundcraft, especially because they have like dragons and and dinosaurs and shit on them. So. I can understand the appeal of the newer lands. Uh, the art's pretty sweet. Um, we just have to see where it goes from here. I don't know. People are. I think. I think the real thing that's happening is people are just excited to play standard again, and they just weren't for a really long time, and just people just zoned out. They didn't care about the sets that were coming out, and this might be a sign of things to come. Like maybe the summer and the spring sets are going to get less popular, and then we're going to have the weird. Like price spike things that happen in the fall when people come back in Magic if they're really enjoying it again. I would say that my position on standard at the moment is mostly that uh, the archetypes do seem to have gotten pretty comfortable, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them tweak a little bit over time, um, especially with the Pro Tour. But it does feel a little more settled than it has in the past at this time in standard. Um, like as Ed defined, as said, we have the three. Um, archetypes already kind of defined, so you probably just see tweaks on those. Like you can see blue black shift towards blue white, or maybe uh, blue white splashing black for scarab gob type of thing. But that deck is still going to exist. But I suppose I'm not really expecting anything great out of the Pro Tour at the moment. What I would be more interested in, sort of, is keeping an eye on where um, what people stop paying attention to in standard, because we are going to get another whole set of. Uh, dinosaurs and so forth, which we didn't have, which we don't have now. So that tribal strategy is just going to get stronger. And it's the type of thing where you can see dinosaurs get stronger, much stronger with a second set because of the additional tribal cards. Well, control might not pick up nearly as many cards. So keeping an eye on those types of strategies um, now, while nobody's paying attention to them, seems like the best bet. And speaking of keeping an eye on things that people aren't paying attention to, Gideon Ally of Zendikar is below $10. Ulamog's below $10. These are cards that a lot of finance-minded people should take heed of uh, because these are starting to start going down, and you can really make some good profits in a year or two on these cards. Yeah, there's a lot of copies out there, but I think this is these two cards are specifically a slam dunk down the road. Spoilers, man. We're not in Pick of the Week yet. I'm just trying to give the people good information. So, Jim, do you want to uh, hit up the, the winner of our credit this week? What's the uh, question? So our winner this week is David Moore. David, please send me a message on Twitter or Facebook, or you can email us at uh, whatever our email address is, probably cartellerstorkats at gmail.com. And uh, I will send you the gift code. Uh, so he says, I've been playing the standard showdown, getting packs consistently. I'm curious if I should sell them since I usually open them and get hosed, especially with standard cards, gaining and holding solid value. I know you can get some money for them, and I'd rather put that into other cards than just playing the lotto. Um, I don't have a tremendous amount of experience knowing if people actually sell the standard showdown packs. Um, I can't imagine that there's a huge amount of demand for them because they're weird because you can't draft them. They don't have enough cards in them, and the stuff that's in them is so random that... I'm not sure that they're like, they're not really like uh, treasure chests on Magic Online where you could just sell them to a bot pretty easily and not have to worry about opening them. Um, 
I don't I don't really know what your best plan is. I, I would definitely try not to open them if I can avoid it, but I don't know if you can actually sell them. Um, maybe you could try trading them just to players that you're local games for, maybe for like some store credit or something. That'd probably be my best bet. Ed? Uh, I mean, I, I'm pretty sympathetic with you. Like, I've had to crack a few that came in, and the opening them is pretty abysmal, especially since you can no longer get masterpieces in them. So I don't really know what to tell you. You could try trading off. They're kind of a pain to carry around because they don't really fit a binder. You have to carry them loosely in a deck box or something. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do with them. I got nothing for you. Just remember when you hear Ed say he's opened them, he is the most degenerate gambler on the cast, allegedly. <laughs> uh, never open booster packs unless you are a gambling addict. Um, and or you have you, friends, which I guess you wouldn't understand. Yeah, so yeah like, have, you ever, have you ever drafted before? Or have you like done sealed at the pre-release? Like those are reasons. Clearly the guy isn't talking about drafting or playing sealed. He's talking about prize packs. So both of you can go shove it. Uh, drafting is a whole other story. If we're just talking about packs you want at the store, loosey gooseys, just don't open them unless you really want to gamble. Instead, trade them at $4 in value to all the other addicts, gambling addicts in the store around you. Um, I've been seeing people calculate pack values on MTG Dongler, MTG Goldfish. Everyone's taking either Kaladesh packs or hour of devastation packs to either get the scarab god or to try to hit something with the masterpieces though like if you can get store credit take that i don't know why your store wouldn't offer that instead of packs i think that he's talking specifically about the standard showdown packs like those weird supplements ah, okay so i'm an idiot so in that case the thing that he said multiple times and we all addressed i would i would still crack them like there's no point in keeping those sealed a lot of players and not enough players who want to gamble on opening those are willing to trade for those. Like if you could, I haven't seen prices on the secondary market for these specific standard, the new standard. Wait, are, are these the Ixalan ones with the lands in them? Are we, are we assuming that it's brand new? Or are we assuming that he's been? Well, I, I assume he's talking about the future since he's probably okay. not, doesn't have any that so, hasn't opened already. The basic lands are worth like five to seven dollars each right now. Those promo lands, I'm personally looking for two hundred of them. I know a lot of people on Twitter that are looking for them as well. They're closing on multiple websites for a lot of money. I would I would not trade those away. I would keep them because a lot of people like those foil Rebecca gay lands. Um, however, if we're just talking about Hour of Devastation, uh, assuming that your shop hasn't caught up with that. I would just open them and, and trade or sell whatever. But if we're talking about the new Ixalan stuff, hold the lands, sell everything else. The EV on those right now has been calculated around 9 to $10 on those, uh, which is why a lot of people are supporting their LGSs for once instead of buying boxes online. But hold the lands, sell everything else. Uh, if you open like a bulk mythic, there's no point in getting rid of it because there's a shot it could go up, like startled awake or something, but we'll see. So I hope that made sense because I did not understand that question. But if you want to win next week's credit, feel free to leave a comment on Gathering Magic instead of hitting us up on Twitter or Facebook, and we'll be happy to try and award you that uh, gift card. Keep in mind that if you're just trading packs at, at some value to other players, like you're just trading it, like, oh, here, I'll, I'll, I'll trade packs at $4 value, it's the easiest way to get rid of them. And 
if people trade them from you and then hit a good card that to them, it's like, wow, this guy gives out good packs and you feed their gambling rush. And then that means they'll be more likely to trade for your packs in the future because people are idiots. So, you know, just it is the, I think it's still think it is the best value and lowest effort way to get rid of them. And we have a question from Bites and Flights who asks, when's a good time to get some enemy fetches from Modern Masters 2017? Well, it should have been a couple months ago. I'm slowly building a playset of all 10, and it's going to take at least a year. Timing on this could save me some money. Maybe? When is the best time to pick up these cards? Because we don't know what's in M25 yet. I mean, it depends on when you're when you're trying to finish them. Um if you have, t if you if you want to play with them and you want to get them in like a couple of months, uh, like I've said before, December is probably the best time to buy them. You could find like an eBay sale or something and pick them up. Um, but other than that, like just you have to wait for another reprint. They're not going to get cheaper. So one thing that's kind of interesting to know, like I think, just kind of the direction of. Grand Prix next year, uh, we do see a lot more team formats. So team constructed will be prevalent towards the beginning of the year as people kind of use that as an opportunity to qualify for uh, Pro Tour, Dominera, whatever the 25th anniversary Pro Tour is, whatever. It's um, Minneapolis, woo. Anyways, um, more, I, I, I think that's going to kind of cause a surge in like modern. I think it's one of those, like there's more visibility in modern. Uh, team constructors more visibility in legacy. Um, it, it, it's more the more that people see these things happen, I think it drives it will drive people to be buying like, oh, I want to try out this new deck or whatever. Um, so, I think demand for those will probably go up mainly because you know, literally no one is opening MM17 anymore. Um, if you do want to buy them, you probably should buy them. Like Christmas is always a good time. We always see kind of the dip in November, December. You see lots of people selling collections. Hey, I need holiday money. I need like vacation money, etc. Um, people usually sell stuff off. If you're willing to like look on Facebook, kind of poke around eBay, you can usually find decent deals towards the end of the year. As quarter four kind of comes like rolling around, people always like need extra spare money, and usually luxuries like Magic the Gathering cards generally tend to be like among the first things that go. You waiting for me? I have no insight on when the best time to buy is. These guys have been paying a lot closer to that attention to that than me. So do what they tell you to do. I mean, there you can always snipe stuff on auctions. You can always snipe stuff on Facebook. I I don't actually think the time tested strategy of going up to a vendor at a Grand Prix and offering them like less that like what normal what randos are selling them on Facebook is because the spreads on those are so thin. Like. Say Ed has scalding turns at, what do you guys have him at, like 60 probably? And I go up to Ed and I offer him like 50s at a, at a GP. He's probably going to say no because he can find someone that is probably going to walk up and buy them at 60 or at least 55 versus like random McGee selling his copy on Facebook for 50 bucks. So I think this is one of the rare occasions where it's better to buy on Facebook or, or like maybe eBay if you get a low enough auction bid. Uh, where it can save you money. But I would pick them up sooner rather than later. Um, I know prices are going to be a little more depressed at the end of the year when shops do these blowouts. Star City is a real notable one that a lot of people make money on, uh, for example. And I love how Travis's face to that. I mean, well, we're, we're giving him information, man. I could care less. This uh, guy just hit a really good grenade through a second floor window, and I was not expecting it. 
I mean, it's a good deal. Like I paid a dollar for Soarings last year. I paid a dollar for Reliquary Towers. I paid a dollar for Unwinding Clocks. And there's a bunch of other stuff on there that was that had real good returns. Uh, so I'm sure Star City Channel Fireball, et cetera, will have these end of the year sales and you can snipe them then if you don't find any super low buys ahead of time. So that would be my advice. And I think I just tilted Travis uh, to the wrong side of the earth. But uh, that's what we're here for. So yeah, other than that, the yen dollar ratio is finally a little bit uh, better back in our favor, which is good. I mean, I know Ed probably tracks these things to like the 10th of a percentage, but just from a layman's perspective, the dollar is looking a little better now. So I'm happy about it. But yeah, that's what I would recommend when it comes to getting your enemy uh, Modern Masters 17 fetches. And then there's another notable uh, thing going on in the market right now that a lot of people have pointed out that we have discussed on the cast is everything seems to be spiking right now. Uh, underground seas are like 500 for near, near mint now. If you're shopping through one of the big name stores, uh, a lot of these reserveless cards are spiking. Power 9 the buy lists are moving on it, but the retail price that I personally have seen is not moving much. Uh, there's a lot of people that are liquidating power right now. And if you're one of the people who think that a rising tide lifts all boats, this could be a good time to get in on it. Uh, as far as looking at where, for example, Mox Sapphire's buy list is now versus where it was earlier this year. Uh, it's just a layman's perspective. You know, Ed, Ed just flips power uh, every single day, unlike me, but... It's a lot more demand with Eternal Weekend coming up. So it's going to be real interesting to see at Eternal Weekend what the prices on the floor look like. Actually, I haven't quite seen like the same surge for power and vintage staples this year. Uh, one, maybe it's, because, maybe, maybe it's because I haven't followed it as closely. Mainly because we, I haven't actively been... I actually haven't actively been at Grand Prix with a booth trying to actively buy power and whatnot. It's one of those things where if it does walk in, I'll make a very reasonable offer. I'll make a real offer. If someone really wants the extra money, they can probably put in the work and find a better offer. But um, it's the type of thing that I don't really want to have sitting around. It's kind of a pain to inventory. It's kind of a pain to keep track of um, listing it, etc. If someone gives me, if someone comes up with, with it, I'll give a real number. If someone comes up to me and wants to buy it with a real number, I'll probably take it. Um, again, I just haven't really seen the same kind of surge. Like usually on Facebook, I tend to notice like towards Eternal Weekend, people tend to be, you see a lot more of the, oh, I'm trying to sell my unlimited piece, upgrade to an, a beta and alpha before uh, Eternal Weekend to kind of get the extra pimp for their deck. I haven't really noticed that as much. Um, I, I've personally noticed a lot of unlimited power flying, which I've talked about before. Uh, the other thing to note is that there is an old school tournament that is going on on Thursday before Eternal Weekend that is at three digits as of the recording of this cast for turnout. And it's very interesting to see how this niche format is going to affect uh, prices. However, at the same time, Travis could probably make the argument that every single person that plays old school at the Globe is going to be at that tournament all hundred of them. So it'll be interesting to, uh, to see what happens, but we, 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 our old stuff, we just can't keep in stock. Like I got messaged by a St. Louis shop this morning. They're like, Hey, we need an ancestral recall to sell to a customer for eternal week. And it's like, I'm also sold out of ancestral recall. So prices are going crazy. Now we do have a, a paper vintage scene in the area. So that might be a reason for that versus other areas. 
you're looking for me to chime in on power here, it's not going to happen. I don't really pay any attention to that market. You can't recall the prices? I never knew them in the first place. It's okay. a market that's, well, it's, it's, it's just inex it's, it's reasonably inaccessible to myself and a lot of other people, and it's just there's not really a point in trying to keep up with it if you're not going to be buying that stuff. Speaking of reasonably um, unaccessible, uh, Mr. Lubafu wants to ask, uh, a question about uncut sheets. He sees them often sell between the six to $700 range, though depending on the set, it may go higher. What are your thoughts on the value of uncut sheets in the long term? Those are pieces that you put on your wall if you buy them. Don't buy them to resell them. That's probably not worth your time, your money, or your effort. The amount of people that actually want to keep them is pretty low. The amount of them that actually exist is pretty low. Finding someone that wants the specific set that you have is pretty much impossible. So don't buy them to resell them. There's just so much better things you could be doing with your time and money. Uh, if you want to buy them and frame them and put them on your wall, I mean, be my guest. That's that's up to you too. Ed, you uh, you shopping around for some uncut sheets? Nope. Anyone who follows Jeremy or I or I on Twitter, I have a GIF that I use very, very, very often for situations like this, and this happens to be one of them. As I think Jim basically hit on the head, like if you want a cool novelty item, just like, you know, pick up like a sheet, like put a nice frame on it, hang it up in your room, in your game room, your man cave or whatever. And that way people, you can kind of like, you know, show your non-magic friends this is what you do in your free time. I don't know. Like that, that's, I think that's kind of what the original intent of the uncut sheets was. And I think like it's kind of been lost when people are trying to buy them and like people like Ely who cut them. Uh, who chop them up with non-factory cut, which is not cheap, by the way. If you're thinking about trying to do it yourself, that's actually a very, very expensive process. Um, so yeah, like, it, it turns out processing those things take a huge cut of the profits away. You're, you're the worst. I could we just fire him? Like <laughs> you're fired today. You're not allowed. No more puns. Like the pun level is usually like here. And it's like I can almost barely stand it, but it's like it's like I can't even I can't even go down that far, and you still be able to see my hand on the webcam. That's how far you've gone. <laughs> you were saying, Ed? Yeah, like buy a cheap common sheet. Um, you can get a good deal on the most. Usually at Grand Prix, they tend to be one of the cheaper ones. If you want it for your wall, keep it. Make it like make it a cool item. The biggest thing about them is it's just so hard to sell. You risk damaging them in transit. Uh, a lot of them, because they end up in tubes and the way they shift around, I've seen sheets kind of get the crimped ends. Um, it, it's, it's really not worth your time as an investment opportunity. If you want to invest in it as art and just kind of a cool something to hang on your wall, like I, I definitely think it's one of the sweeter things you can buy in terms of magic, but definitely would not recommend it as an investment. If you want to buy something sweet, to hang on your wall that's that's magic related. Just buy the Nicol Bolas poster from the last San Diego Comic-Con thing. That one's really sweet. And it's also an uncut sheet of cards. That's so like the best of both worlds. Travis, anything to add about sheets? Not really. At the first Vegas, we uh, I calculated the number of points to the total cost of one of the foil uncut modern master sheets to try and figure out if it was worth it. And I think it was, I think it was close. I think you could pick up like $1,500 in value if you managed to cut the sheet without damaging it based on what points on the floor we're selling for. But, uh, I mean, really in general, don't bother with it. It's just so much more work than it's worth. Uh, and there's just, as is the case with many things in magic, even if you could make a profit and I'm not saying you can't, it's likely that there's just easier money to be made elsewhere. 
And then, of course, for the last uh, topic before we get into pick of the week, uh, door number one, guys, is Channel Fireball and Judge Compensation and the contract that they signed that blew up on Reddit. And door number two is if you're asking us about selling at Grand Prix. Which door are we going to go down? Can we go down door number three, which is the email that I sent to you guys like right after we finished the cast last week? Sure, why not? I guess we'll leave that one ajar and get a handle on the situation. You want to go for remember. it, Jim? I don't remember an email. I, I linked it in our chat. Um, but basically, the uh, Charlie Hanford is his name. He sent us an email, basically. Oh, God, he's a regular of uh, one of the shops I work with. Oh, I'll just link it in the, in the comments so you can read it. Because I'm not going to butcher this. Okay, so he says, with Bob Huang's Popeye Legacy deck being published and the whole thing being fake, do you think that there should be some blowback for Channel Fireball? It appears they were made aware of the trolling on Friday and did not publish the article until Monday. So as cards started to spike, Channel Fireball potentially benefited from the new demand at the potential expense of their consumers. Assuming that their sales team was aware of the article, do you feel that Channel Fireball had some kind of moral obligation to their customers to inform them that the list wasn't real? Best, Charlie. I think I think you guys should probably provide a little context for this, just for the people who aren't sure. aware. Sure. So two two things. One is that I I know Charlie does not work in damages, but I do know that he is uh, a lawyer and he uh, passed the bar in Missouri. So maybe he has some legal thoughts behind this that he can't explain on this cast. Because I didn't. I actually had no clue that he had emailed us about this. Um, so essentially. Bob Huang, Julian Nab, and a couple other guys on Twitter were saying that they 5-0'd the Legacy Leagues with a new Popeye stomp, Stompy deck. Popeye being like pirates from Mercadian Masks that say when they enter the battlefield, you know, you sack, uh, you sack a permanent unless you pay a mana, Travis. Uh, combined with Legacy's Stompy decks in the past that utilize cards such as Chalice of the Void, this car, this deck uh, supposedly gained advantage by having access to Forcible as well, uh, making it easier to resolve a Chalice against Delver decks, or protecting itself against combo decks by being able to force and pitching pirates. Um, essentially, these content creators said that they were going to post the deck list on Channel Fireball uh, because it was doing so well. The internet got bought out of these cards. I know Sigmund Osfresser uh, got stuck with a lot of these pirates uh, as an example of buying into the hype. Uh, Channel Fireball changed its uh, sell prices on these cards and made more money. Um, and then on Monday, it came out that the whole deck was fake. They were doing it as a joke. This is what happens when you trust the internet. Uh, so Charlie's asking, should Channel Fireball uh, have a moral obligation to their customers to like be like, hey, we're sorry that this list was fake if they knew about it ahead of time? Because assuming the article wasn't sent to them Sunday night or something, since uh, they had sort of been bragging about this list for about a week. Uh, so the, the question is, is it ethical for uh, game shops to sell cards into the hype that they know isn't real, I guess would be like the best way to put that. I hope that explained it well enough. Well, I'll, I'll chime in briefly here. Uh, is I'm going to, I'm going to change the question though. Is it ethical for game shops to sell into a hype that they know isn't good? Absolutely. Card store owners do that daily. When some kid walks in and says, Hey, did you hear about that deck that did really well? I think it's really good. Like, the guards are owners that is knows that that is not the case. And uh, so talk about cards. Rudy like that, man. <laughs> now the flip side of this, the, the, but that's not what happened here, right? This wasn't just like some kid walked in and said, these are good and channel fireball sold them cards. It was channel fireball paid somebody to create content that 
um, talked up a particular good, raised the price on that good, and then continued to sell it knowing that the original content saying that these cards were good was in fact false, was fabricated. That's a different question. And that, uh, I don't think you can defend that in any capacity. Um, you know, if you do that in like the stock market, I'm pretty sure it's illegal, right? It's not insider trading, but there's, it's gotta be like fraud. Um, you know, you, where you like are hiring somebody to tell everyone that your stock is good, uh, who, you know, and basically lying about who they are and the whole point of it. And then you get to sell, I don't know, whatever. I'm not gonna get into stock market because I don't know much as much about it as these other guys do, but, uh, no, it's not ethical at all. Um, and Channel Fireball really should be ashamed of themselves if if they knew that the article knew clearly ahead of time the article was false and then still de deliberately raised the card prices. Ed, you want to take a gamble wait, at this I'm point? Gonna, wait, I'm gonna go one oh, step further. Sure. I'm gonna go one step further now that I think about it. If Channel Fireball knew that those knew that the article was a joke. They should have delisted those cards from their storefront so that people just couldn't buy them. They should have just marked them as sold out in well that because even if they don't raise their prices, just having them for sale and then running an article that basically is lying about this being good is just tricking people into buying the cards. It's just not as bad as raising the prices. Like you can't, you know, you, I'm sure I'm going to get all sorts of free market people who are going to come and say uh, buyer beware type of bullshit that is completely nonsense in this day and age. Uh, so no, I mean, if they are knowingly publishing an article that's false, they shouldn't be selling the product to people. Ed, do you want to take a shot at this? Um, I'm, I'm, I think Travis more or less hit on the head, and this is coming from someone who thinks more like morality is largely independent from business. Like, I don't think business should really like concern itself with morals, which is a pretty like like I'm probably gonna get a lot of shit for that. Like, I, I people are probably gonna come off the cast. You have been exiled. To, no, I'm kidding. Um. Like like I just I just think like a lot of the uh, uh, people trying to paint like you know certain business certain business practices are unethical blah 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 like I generally t tend to not subscribe with them but I think this is one of those things where I would agree with Travis I don't really have a rational thought behind this um, when I first like when my initial response to just kind of reading this was um, that's kind of messed up. Like, do I like necessarily fault someone like Channel Fireball for doing it? Probably not. Like, it isn't necessarily any more unethical than like you know the conspiracy theory behind like Star City, and, like having advanced knowledge of like reprint sets. Like, obviously, we can go on and on and on about it, but like, do I necessarily think that's a problem? Not really. But like, for some reason, like I again, I can't rationalize it, nor can I can't, nor can I explain it. But I just, I'm tend, to, I would agree with Travis on this one. That's all I got, unfortunately. Jim? The rationalization is, is, rationalization is easy. It's like you shouldn't lie to people to sell them things. It's unethical. But, it's I, generally, but I generally don't have a problem with that as a whole. So I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, have you seen half the cards Ed has sold to me with the promise that they'll go up? I mean, come on. So I think that the thing that Ed's trying to say is that you you think that it is wrong to say something and then have people buy stuff from you. Like if you're a city, if you're a shop owner, and you know some guy comes in, he's like, "What should I add to my deck?" 
to my EDH, my blue black EDH deck, and he just like happens to have a bunch of cards that he has overstocked and said these are great for your deck, and he sells them to the to the person. Like, do you think that that's unethical? Yeah. Well, is he selling the guy cards that he knows aren't good? Uh, does it matter? Well, a fool and his money are soon parted. I mean, if you're gonna say, like, people actively play bad cards all the time, so who, like, how could you tell them that these are bad? You shouldn't buy these. Like, that's just bad for business, right? Uh, but there's a difference there because Channel Fireball is telling people is is basically telling people these cards are good and valuable. And then knowing full well that that's wrong. If I am a kid who walks into my local store and, oh, come on, I can't get an angle on this guy. If I'm a kid who walks into my local store and I ask the storekeep, the store owner, if this card is good and he says yes and then sells it to me, yeah, that's kind of unethical. Like it's all shades of gray. Morality is, uh, is difficult and we could have a long discussion about this specifically. But if he comes in and says, I wanna buy this card, even if it's garbage, you can sell it to him. If he says, is this card good for my deck? And you know that like it's terrible or banned or violates the color rules or whatever. And then you say, yes, it's good. You should buy it. Yeah, that's a crummy thing to do. And if you like are at, if you see somebody playing a deck and you walk over and go, hey, you're, I see you're playing this deck, you should buy this card, uh, knowing full well that that card is bad, that's even worse. Like shades of gray. So I, from what I understand about the situation, I do not believe Channel Fireball said anything in particular about the cards themselves. Like I don't think that their like official Twitter account said anything about them. And doesn't matter. I have, it doesn't matter. I, Publishing the article is the same as making that statement. I think they just hyped up that they the, the, the creators hyped up that they were going to be uh, publishing it on Channel Fireball like four days in advance of the article getting published. Right. So like I'm I'm like I would be more mad at Bob. For yeah. hyping or Julian, that's not real. Makes sure. sense. Or, or Julian, whoever, whoever, like said that this was a real thing. Like, if you want to say that this someone was immoral, or whatever, then they'd be those people. But at the same time, this is really like a learning lesson for people that buy into blind hype. Like, do some fucking research and figure stuff out for yourself. Don't be a bunch of sheep. Like, I'm. Uh, I'm gonna. As soon as no, I'm not done. Oh, man. So sometimes sometimes people are like, oh, man, this card's so good. Oh, man, this card's so good. And then just a bunch of people go buy it, and it gets more expensive. That's basically what happened here. It didn't actually have to be good. It never has to be good. People just have to buy it, and then the price goes up. So this happens with other cards. It doesn't happen with Seance, which is like kind of the same thing as this. But people were just excited because people you said Pirates. Oh, man, I want to play Pirates in Legacy, even though there's like no chance that they're good. We see this trend a lot with people that follow certain MTG finance people that promise them great returns where they have stacks of booster boxes behind them when they're making a video or anything like that, where they say, I'm the only right person. Let me publish my returns on how much I made on these cards on my Twitter and brag about that all day. Um, and they convince these people to follow things that either they're selling to a greater fool or they're selling to being able to like quote unquote make it an MTG finance. I think this is an extremely normal parallel between MTG finance and just normal shops doing business. Uh, Cause this is essentially the same thing as someone 
spamming the heck out of the MTG finance tag with like their returns on cards and not talking about all the cards that they they didn't do well on, which is why we have a spreadsheet on this cast that like shows how wrong I've been, for example, compared to the rest of the cast or anyone else on any of the other picks. Uh, it's very transparent for us, but there's a lot of people that don't do that, uh, either when they're making videos or when they're tweeting their content out. And you have to watch out and validate and get a second opinion on some of these specs or picks or decks. Um, at the same time, Channel Fireball has zero moral obligation to tell anybody, hey, this, you know, we're sorry because they don't want to admit they're wrong. Or like they're just going to be like, yeah, you know, that paid our salary for the week because we sold some Mercadian Mass Commons at $15 each. So. Uh, no, they do have, okay, so you got a couple points. A, they do have a moral obligation as a functioning uh, storefront within society. They have, like, the moral obligation, essentially, it comes from the same place as your moral obligation not to murder people um, within a civilization. Second, yes, everyone ultimately should do their homework and be responsible for what they buy, uh, but that doesn't absolve bad actors of the responsibility for what they're doing. Um Shoot, Jim had another one too, and you guys talked for like 10 minutes, and I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, Bob didn't, I don't think Bob did anything wrong here either. So long as Bob did it as a parody article, thought it was goofy, and was just having like, basically just goofing around and essentially writing a comedy article. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that, because there's room for satire and stuff like that in the, um, in the space of magic. Now, it probably would have helped if they put maybe like a little blurb at the top that said like this article is a joke or not to be seriously, excuse me, parody type of thing. They like said that's it at the bottom of the article, the, the times we've so, seen it where they haven't disclosed that it was fake. Remember when dramatic entrance spiked up to like $10 based off fake European tests. That's probably yeah. the best example in your argument, Travis, of people just faking it to screw people out of their money. Okay. So, in, so if there was a disclaimer on the article too, that it was a joke, then Bob really does is not guilty of anything here. Uh, cause there's room for satire and people to write goofy articles. And if people don't read the article and then buy cards based off of it, that's sort of on them. But if channel fireball is like raising the prices of these cards because they expect people to buy them, that's pretty bad. And, and if channel fireball, like, if Channel Fireball, and this is all ifs because I don't know all the facts, or I'm assuming a set of facts here that we're talking about, and they might not all be true. But if Channel Fireball sees the satire article that Bob writes and goes, well, this is a joke, and we put a small sentence at the end about how it's a joke, but we also know people aren't going to take it as a joke, so we're going to raise the prices just in case, that's still being shitty, right? That's like pretending to do something rude to your friend and then them reacting and then going, oh, well, I didn't actually do it to you, so it's your fault you know, that you, whatever, jumped out of the way when you thought I was going to punch you and then hurt yourself. Like, well, you know, the joke wasn't funny. You're essentially the cause of this reactionary behavior. Um, the short version is here. I don't think Bob did anything wrong. I think Channel Fireball absolutely has a moral obligation. And even though we're all responsible for our own buying decisions, it doesn't absolve bad actors of their responsibility to the society that they operate in. Okay. Well, we'll probably leave it there. You know, if there's uh, if there's any feedback that our listeners want to leave, because for some reason you guys really like to listen to this podcast, but you don't like to give us back feedback, you can always do that on Twitter. Uh, now let's move into the part where Ed hopefully is prepared, which is pick of the week. Ed, you got anything for this week? Nickel Bulls, God Pharaoh. It seems to okay. be kind of uh, – it seems to steadily been trending down, which is kind of surprising since it feels like it should be a reasonably popular casual card. It does see some play. I think like Shouta played it this past weekend in his Grixis control deck. 
it might be kind of the next step for a uh, for like kind of the blueback control deck. That might be the evolution. Blueback control is kind of the breakout deck of the weekend. Um, adding red to the control deck obviously gives you nickel bowls, which is a very good finisher against the um, against the control deck itself. Um, and, and like adding red adds a few other things. Like you get like a braid, magma sprays, hour of devastations. Um, I thought Shadow's list was pretty good. I like I didn't. I was uh, at Pokemon Regionals this weekend. I didn't really have a chance to kind of follow worlds and see how the standard rounds played out. But it just feels like Nickel Bolas at this point. Uh, looking on TCG Player, the cheapest copy is seven ninety nine plus ninety nine cent shipping. So eight. That's uh, nine dollars roughly. I see you'd buy a decent amount of copies between nine and ten dollars. It feels like it doesn't. It wouldn't hurt too badly to pick up like a set. It would probably never be played to the extent of like, oh, we need four of these in a deck mainly because it's three colors and it's seven mana. But I do see a point where if it does kind of start making its way into more of the decks, which we've seen not just in the Grixis Control deck but also in uh, uh, the Teamer Energy decks um, that would splash the black for eventually it became the Scarab God. But I just feel like Nickel Bullets does have a little bit of room to grow, and at this point, I don't think I would necessarily be against buying up at least enough copies to play for yourself in the event that it does become good for the remaining 11 months that's still in Standard. And obviously, just kind of the big storyline villain, just a big casual card, I think there's just... I, I, I think it's getting close to its bottom. I think at any point, if you do plan on playing in the future, it's probably worth investing in a few copies now. Jim? So, I'm, I'm expecting that the blue-black control deck is going to get more popular as, as time goes on. And there's one card in particular that I think that could be an evolutionary card that comes into play as you play more and more mirror matches. So, the card that I'm looking at right now, uh, which is pretty cheap to buy right now, is Kefnet the Mindful. Uh, it's a three. Basically, in this blue back control matchup, it's a three mana five five indestructible, which is very easy to protect. There's not a lot of removal spells other than your like already very tested uh, uh, Braska's contempts that can kill it. And if you don't have enough cards in your hand, it just lets you catch up pretty easily. It's also great after like counter spell war. Um, I feel like this is going to play a lot similar to Geist of Saint Shaft, where when you were playing the control mirrors when that card was legal, if you resolve those like one of those on turn three, it was pretty difficult to lose the game because it closes so quickly afterwards. Uh, it doesn't give them time to set up and try to figure out what their what their plan is and try to get like uh, you know more cards and whatever. Uh, I feel like this might eventually start replacing um, some people were playing Argyle's Blood Fast in their sideboard. Uh, one of those two cards I think is going to be probably the best thing going forward for this mirror match. Uh, the fact that you can't duress Kefnet makes it a little bit better than Argyle's Bloodfast, but uh, I'm not sure where it's going to go, but it's like $2 right now for a Mythic in a set that already has you know, a $20 Mythic, a $10 Mythic, and a $15 Mythic, and a $10 Rare. Like Clearly, there's not enough Almonkit cards in general, so if this gets popular, it's going to get expensive. Okay, well, I'm going to go in a different direction um, because there's nothing that really jumped out of me this week, and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So, you know, I'm going to throw 
throw out a curveball. I'm kind of interested in Vona, Butcher of Magen. It's like five bucks, which is a little pricey for a Mythic, so I'm not buying like today. But I do think the card is kind of interesting. A five mana, four, four, Vigilance, Lifelink is Batter Skull. Um, you lose the equipment component of it, right? You can't equip Vona to another creature, but you do get to just destroy things by paying life, um, which is definitely something like, you know, Batter Skull had the ability, you know, you take a turn or two basically to turn the corner with Batter Skull, and then you end up with all this life, but you still might not be able to punch through, depending on what they've got going on, and the life that you gained is irrelevant. So being able, you know, if you manage to, to stabilize in like the mid teens to 20 life and then get up into the thirties, uh, you know, or high twenties even, which isn't unreasonable at all. You can start nuking stuff with Vona, which is pretty good. So, you know, and the card, you know, I remember, I'm remembering a uh, blood Baron of Viscopa from the, um, uh, shoot dragon's maze, dragon's which was maze. like a $25 card or something like that, or $20 card. Now that was a very different set. Mind you, it only had two playable cards, uh, blood Baron and, um, voice and they were both mythics but still a similar concept of a card so maybe at like three dollars four dollars bonus i think at five dollars he's tradable and at three dollars he's probably buyable because he could end up being a pretty major component of certain decks um you know I, I, realistically it could be a four of uh and then the price would be nuts so that's what i'm interested in i'm gonna call a short this week which means you should get rid of it if you have it. And that is Rick and Morty's Sejuan sauce because the price is about to tank very low with this reprint coming up at the end of the year. Um, so watch out for that. But on a serious note, um, the Locust God foils have been moving very well online. The pre-release promo, I just can't keep in stock at $20. Uh, the set foil, I I think we have a little higher, but I like every time we get these, it's sold like within an hour. I think there's real demand for this card with how many stupid shenanigan combos I can do in EDH, and that's something that if I see a foil in someone's trade binder, I'm gonna like try to get it as as much as possible because I don't think this is going down anytime soon. Wait, did you say the pack foil or the promo foil or the either it, any any them? either of them? I've been able to get my hands on. We just cannot keep in stock either in the shop or online. So that's something that I would just keep an eye on if you see one. Maybe yeah, Rick and Morty it. stuff is ludicrous. Have you been paying attention to that? Not as bad as the fans. And that's where we're going to end the cast this week. This has been Cartel Aristocrats cast number 74. Where can we find all of you guys? Twitter at Edwin13. Uh, I'm done traveling for a little bit. Uh, next event is Hong Kong. Other than that, you can message me on Facebook. Happy to answer your questions. Trying to answer people's questions on Gathering Magic, but I've been kind of lazy about that and just not <laughs> checking the website. So I will try and actively respond to all questions, which people actually do put a lot of good questions out there. Um, I actually do kind of enjoy kind of just like thinking about it. it, mainly because a lot of it does kind of affect my day to day in some level. So happy to answer your questions for the week. But only right, this my, week, Jim. Sorry, my name is Jim Kasai. You can find me on Twitter at phrosd underscore. Uh, you can find me on Gathering Magic and Quiet Speculation sometimes. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday for MTG Price. I also do the MTG Fast Finance podcast. Um, and just so that you don't think I'm talking out of my butt, for once in my life, 
it has come in useful. I have a master's in philosophy, so I have spent a lot of time writing and thinking about uh, morality and ethics, so that is where I make my claims from. Liberal arts degrees, lol. Pretty much. Yeah, why, 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 did, you, why did you do that? Uh, I it's you know far too long to get into at the end of the cast. I, was I can't even talk because I have a, I, like liberal that's arts. a great topic for an after hours. Yeah, which we should do if you guys have time. I'm Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter at Missouri MTG. I will be at Eternal Weekend. I will be the sole member of Cartel at Eternal Weekend since Ed decided to duck out. Um, then the week after, we have a Winamox Sapphire at one of the shops uh, that I work with. And the week after, we have a winner recall at another one of the shops I work with. So if you're interested in those, hit me up on Twitter. Blah, blah, blah. Thanks for listening to the Cartel Aristocrats number 74, guys. We really appreciate it. We'll be back next Monday. Feel free to leave some questions on Gathering Magic and have a great week. Bye.